Hey, good morning, Portico. How are we doing? Excellent. I'll tell you, you got to help me out a little bit. We are linked live out to Milton right now. Welcome, Milton. Give him a big shout from the room. Good to have you linked in with us, and uh, we're having a little bit of fun in this series. We're actually going to have our communicators communicating to Milton. Everybody in Milton right now, they're going, who are you? Uh, I'm Doug, by the way, pastor at the campus here, senior pastor over all our campuses. We're one church, one message, many expressions. So we have our Portico Milton, we have our chapel, we have our video cafe, we got our live campus. Later on, our Espanol campus is going to join in for 1140. Great, great time to be together here at the church. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to Portico. Thank you for making our experience better. Your attendance just gives us the energy to love and worship God even more. So thanks for being here. I need the ushers to help us in all of our venues and our campuses. If you need to borrow a Bible today, raise your hand real high, and the ushers are going to make their way through. And if you keep your hand up, they're going to hand you a Bible. You can use it for the service, leave it on the chair. Really important that we have these so we can get into God's Word together. And ushers, we want to thank you for doing that. Let me set this up while we go forward. We are in a series called Renovate. Last week, Pastor Rick helped us set up the foundation of what the series is going to look like. We talked about the importance of having a good blueprint, the right foundation, consulting the right experts, and sourcing the right materials. And now we're going to look over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at primary areas of our lives where we need to consider renovating. Now, many of us have healthy relationships, healthy finances, and healthy work uh, rhythms, but we want to look at the bigger picture and go, are there areas that we need to work on and to develop? Well, today, our focus is going to be on this whole area of relationships. And when you think about it, not one of us is not impacted by a relationship. We all experience them. So if you put it in the bigger context, whether it's from the cave to the grave, from the womb to the tomb, from birth to death, whatever phrase you like to use, you cannot get away from relationships. They are unavoidable. They're integral. They're essential to our lives. We frame them. We reference them differently. We call them dependent, self-dependent, codependent, independent, interdependent, whatever name, it's a relationship. And so we have these wonderful dynamic opportunities in our lives, but often we don't live them out to their full potential. So it's crucial that if we are going to have relationships, live in relationships, and build relationships, I think it's crucial that we get it right. Wouldn't you agree? All right, we've got three people with me. We're going to be good. It's going to make it happen today. Well, the Bible offers a tremendous amount of insight, instruction, and encouragement when it comes to building relationships. So what I want to do is I want to be able to lift out of the pages of Scripture today some of this truth that's going to help us renovate our relationships. Now, I think all of us would admit, in fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about all your relationships, all of them. If you're married, I want you to think about your spouse. Here's an agreement, though. Nobody punching, elbowing, or poking today, okay? I want you to think about your spouse. Kids, I want you to think about your parents. Parents, I want you to think about your kids. If you're coworkers and employees in the room, I want you to think about... Any kind of relationship, small group, friendship. Do you have a relationship that today you would go, I absolutely could be doing better in that relationship? Anybody with me? I can. I can. I could be better as a father. I could be better as a husband. Ask Laura. She got a laundry list. It's a big, big list already. Uh, I could be much better as a husband. I could be better as a leader, better as a pastor. I could be better as a child. Ask my mom. She's still trying to fix me. So I got all of these areas of my life that I'm in relationship in, and I am committed to getting better. So I'm committed to renovating. So how many of you are with me today? 
All right, now you're there. All right, this is what we wanted. So we're going to renovate our relationships and across all of our campuses. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. And I want to read a text that I'm going to come back to in a few moments. And the text sets up the foundation for the key practices that we're going to use for renovating our relationships. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, we read these words. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, you are holy and dearly loved. Now clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Now think about that. Paul says, I want you to be thankful for your relationships that you're in. That's a great way to start this off. Well, we're going to do a little bit of interesting uh, interaction today. We're going to have some video teaching mixed in over the next couple of weeks so that our campus communicators are a part of our experience. And so to set the foundation for relationships, just before I go into the practices, I want you to watch the screen and let's listen to Pastor Rick as he takes us into the foundation for healthy relationships. What would you say is the foundation of relationships? Maybe what is the foundation of your most important relationship? Whether you're married, whether you're dating, whether it's just the friendship relationship you're talking about, are you happy with what's at the core with what it's built upon? The majority of relationships are actually built on pretty shallow foundations. I was first attracted to my wife, Amanda, 15 years ago because of her great basketball skills. You know, there's not too many people that actually are initially attracted to a person's personality before they fall in love with their great looks or their big muscles or their perfect smile or maybe some physical feature. These are temporal things that end up actually fading away over time. Believe it or not, after 15 years of marriage, Amanda's basketball skills have began to erode. I actually joked with her for a while, she's lucky Vince Carter was a man because I loved his basketball game. But as we mature, we learn the lessons that the things that we initially build our relationships upon need to change over time. It's got to be based on something more than the temporal things, the things that first attract us to another person. We live in a world where our relationships break down all too often. We do the peripherals well, but we don't necessarily build the foundation all that well. We make sure that we're in shape. We make sure that we're looking the best. We make sure that we're doing active listening. We even make sure that we're sharing responsibilities within relationships. It's the exterior things, but the foundation sometimes suffers. Do you remember the game Jenga where you had to get the foundation well or the whole tower would topple over? This is what we kind of do with relationships when we make sure that the top is all done perfectly but the foundation begins to get wobbly and the tower is in danger of falling over. It's a cliche to say that Christ has to be the center of every Christian relationship. However, things become cliche because there's a big element of truth to them. I was thinking about some other things that I was always told that seemed to be cliche. My grandma used to tell me, you've got to chew every bite 30 times before you even swallow it. Okay, that was awkward. 
There's a reason why they tell us to chew our food 30 times. It's an important part of the digestion process, but nobody does it. I was thinking about some other things that are cliches. Like we say our spouse, our partner, they're the most important thing to us. We would never prefer ourselves over them. But when it comes down to it, it's really hard to do. Did you want to get a meal as well? I'm planning on it. The prime rib looked really good. Okay, but I'm going out with the girls this weekend, so we need to save money so you can't order anything expensive. Oh, I guess we'll just have a salad then. With no protein. Chewing your food, preferring the other person, Christ is the foundation of relationship. Great information, really hard to live out. So let's take a few seconds and look at what it really means to have Christ as the foundation of relationships. I love how it says that your joy may be complete. So many times we look for somebody else to complete us. We don't feel fulfilled as an individual until we find another person who completes us. The scriptures say that if we find ourselves completed in Christ, then we can be completed in a relationship as well because our joy is first fulfilled through him and then our relationship is fulfilled through that same way. It goes on to say then, that we love each other the same way that I have loved you, the way that God has loved us. We just came through the Easter season where we saw how Jesus loved us. He was praying for us, even excruciatingly at times. He gave up taking care of himself and began to fully focus on the needs of the people whom he loved. It was turning everything about his life and focusing on it on somebody else instead of focusing on himself. So how was your day today? Yeah, it was okay. Pretty fun weather we're having, eh? Oh my gosh, the lighting in here is so good. So good. Sorry, what? Sorry, I really want to get rid of this girl at work. I can't stand her work ethic. Oh. Did you do laundry before we left? <gasps> oh my gosh, Addy just sent me the cutest Snapchat! What's a Snapchat? Are you kidding? social media, James. And so we see our couple here. They're having a hard time sacrificing a few dollars on each other. They're having a hard time even looking up from their cell phones and paying attention to each other during their conversation when it's supposed to be a date night. Nobody plans to live life in relationship this way, but it's an easy trap to fall into. We all work long days. We give our best to our people who we're working with. We give our best to our clients. Sometimes we have to put on a fake smile. We sugarcoat answers to intolerant people. And then we come home to the people whom we care the most about and all we have to give is what we have left over. And if you've been in a relationship for any length of time, whether it's, like I said, married, whether it's dating, whether it's friendship, you know that these days happen. And if a relationship is based on anything less than Christ, then it has all the makings of a tower that has a strong peripheral, but a weak foundation that might fall over. The truth is that many of our relationships are founded on attraction, mutual in interest, or even friendship, not a firm foundation. I love that image of the Jenga tower. I love the picture that it just reminds us that if the tower is strong and straight, 
that we can endure almost anything. Any relationship can, with, can endure or withstand some of the most catastrophic, life-altering impact moments. It's the little things. It's when there's distrust or uncertainty or there's pain and we pull out the blocks at the very bottom that our relationships really begin to struggle. And so as Pastor Rick set up the importance of Christ as the foundation, how do we then renovate existing relationships and build healthy relationships together? So that's what we want to do right now. So take your notes out and you can follow along that way. Go to the app. You can take app, uh, take notes on our app. And together we're going to dive in and we're going to look at what are the four practices for renovating our relationships. And based on the Colossians and moving through the scriptures together, I think all of us want to get better at our relationships. So here, let me give a couple of them to you so you can write them down. We're going to take them away, think about them, and put them to play in our life. Number one, practice number one. You need to step up and bring your best to every relationship. Now, people stop right away and they go, well, now that's just common sense. That's not rocket science. But the truth of the matter is, for most of us, common sense isn't that common anymore. And a lot of people take so much for granted in their relationships that when you start to talk about things like stepping up in a relationship and bringing your very best, we don't do that anymore. Now let me show you in the scripture how this plays out. In Colossians chapter 3, if your Bibles are still open or if you're looking at your notes there, you'll see in verse 12 that Paul uses a word. He says, I want you to clothe yourself. He says, with compassion and kindness and humility. How many of you got dressed this morning? I hope so. You wouldn't be in the room if you didn't get dressed. You know, we kind of screen for that kind of thing around the church here. But we just didn't, you know, fall out of bed and then randomly choose we're going to throw a few things on. We were very intentional about how we did it. We were intentional about putting our dress on or putting our pants on, putting our shoes on. And Paul uses this imagery and he goes, I want you to be determined and intentional and use action about clothing yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility. Now, look at the, look at the Bible, Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to move you back a little bit. If you look at verse 5... Paul used a word when he was writing. He said, I want you to put to death those things that are associated with your earthly nature, your old way of living. There is an image link between these two. There's a word picture here. In verse 5, when Paul was saying, I want you to put to death whatever belonged to your old way of living, he's going, the way you used to think, the way you used to live, the way you used to act, you need to consider that as being dead. You're calling in Christ. You're now loved, forgiven, accepted, and chosen by God. So he goes, you need to think about putting to death all the old ways of thinking, all the old ways of living, and choose your calling in Christ. Are you following me? Go to verse 12. Now he writes in verse 12, he says, okay, now that you put that to death, I want you to clothe yourself. There's an intentional action. I want you to think about, be determined, intentional, and choice clothe yourself with, and he starts to talk about what you need to clothe yourself with. So just as he said you need to be intentional about your calling in Christ, and we usually get that one right, now he says be intentional about living the character of Christ. Your calling in Jesus and your character as a Jesus follower are not separable. They are inseparable. That's what makes us powerful in our relationships. So Paul says you need to step it up and you need to bring your best to the game regardless of the kind of relationship that you're in the middle of. Here's a graphic on the screen. I love professional athletes, particularly some of the photos that we're able to capture. I love professional players. They always bring their very best to the game. They know that the game demands that every time they step on the field, every time they get on the court, every time they get out on the ice, they are paid to play. 
They're not paid to be spectators. They're not paid to be the coach. They're paid to be in the game. And so what do they do? They bring their very best. So when they're out there, we get some of these professional shots and you see some of the action. And these are athletes that are bringing their very, very best to the game. And that's the same kind of imagery that the Bible gives us that we really need to step it up. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that our culture is beginning to celebrate mediocrity over excellence. That we are actually, we embrace this culture of mediocrity. Where does it come from? Well, let me tell you about it. We embrace this attitude of just enough to get by. So, you remember studying for your exams? How many of you studied so that you get 100% on your exam? Good for you. How many of you said, if I pass, good enough for me? That's where most of us landed, isn't it? They're going, what are you doing? You don't have to study everything. You don't need to know it all. You need to know just enough to... Exactly. That seeded mediocrity right into the heart of our lives. Where does that grow? Then we get a job. We go to work, and what do we do? We punch in, we check in, we sign in, whatever we have to do when we go to work, and we go, as long as I give enough for an acceptable performance, I'm secure. So we have this just enough to get by, and where does that move into? It seeps right down into our relationships. If I give just enough to have the relationships but not what the relationship really needs to thrive, I'm going to be okay. Everybody tracking with this? So Paul comes back and he goes, no, 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 no. You need to clothe yourself. You need to be intentional. You need to be determined. You need to choose action. And you've got to wrap your life around in your relationship. You've got to step it up and bring your best to the game. Here's what I love about sports. If you don't bring your best to the game, you know what the coach does? He benches you. Yeah, basketball, football, I don't care what sport it is. If you're not playing to your best, what does a coach do? He benches you. Wouldn't it be awesome in in life if we could bench people in relationships? Can you imagine? You go to your friend's house and you see a husband sitting in the corner. You go, hey, what's with your husband? I benched him. You what? I benched him. He just wasn't living up to standard. And then you just, you go to work one day and you're there and somebody looks at you and go, what's with your coworker? I benched him. You what? You benched them. Yeah, they weren't bringing their best into the work relationship, so I just I gave them a time out. It's a good thing we don't have those coupons because we'd probably all get benched as well. But that's the attitude that we live our life with. We're just not in that mindset of bringing our very best. And here's the principle. If you want to renovate your relationships, you've got to step it up. You've got to bring your best. Now, some of you, you just need to think about your relationships again. Which relationship are you performing subpar Which relationship requires you right now to go? Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it is in your marriage. You might be in a good friendship or maybe your small group. And you just go, man, I'm not bringing my best to the game. Now, be glad that they can't bench you. But the fact of the matter is, is that you need to renovate that relationship. And you've got to get this practice into play where you, you step up your game and you get to your very best. Look at Colossians 3, 23 in your notes. The Bible says, whatever you do, work at it with all your, what's the word? Heart. Oh, we love the word heart, don't we? Yeah, it's a great word. So when we talk about relationships, we go, passion. Heart speaks about passion. But there's more to it. There's two principles in play in this verse right here. It says, whatever you do, it says, work at it with all your heart. So heart speaks about passion, but the other words are, work at it. Work speaks about persistence, perspiration, energy, sacrifice, So if you want to have thriving, dynamic relationships, here's what you have to have. You've got to have passion, but you've got to have perspiration. Those two things go together. You know that to be true, right? 
Let me explain for you. If you're a husband in the room and you've ever done something that you hurt your wife, you offended your wife, or you forgot her anniversary, what do we do? We run out and we buy her flowers and we bring flowers home and we give her flowers. What's that? That's passion. That's honey, forgive me. You know I love you, right? And she goes, oh, you know, that's so kind of you to bring those flowers. Thank you so much. But if you don't change your behavior and the next time you do the same thing and you bring that rose to her, she's going to beat you with that flower. You know that, right? She's going to take the thorns on that rose and just beat you blue because she's going to go, I don't want just passion. I want your perspiration and persistence in this thing. I want you to change. That's not just for marriage. That's true in every one of our relationships. We have to bring the best of our heart, and I love the Bible. It's just so practical. It goes, and work at your relationships. Get your game up. We should be, of all people, that's why Paul said, clothe yourselves. We should be the best in every one of our relationships. So if I'm serving someone as an employee, I got to bring the best of my game into that relationship and show them who I am. Romans 12, 10, in your notes, says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. How do we do that? Well, when you honor somebody, you're actually saying, it's not about my best interest, it's about yours. To honor somebody is to look at their life and to go, what is it that I can do to bring out the best in you? Love is really accurately estimating what the other person needs and then doing everything in your power to meet the need. So that means if I'm going to really truly live out a renovated relationship, I'm not looking at my relationships. I'm not looking at my children or my wife. I'm not looking at my employees. I'm not looking at my friends saying, hey, what are you going to bring to me? I'm renovating my relationships by saying, what am I going to bring to this relationship to bring out the best person in you? Because when I give you the best, it's always going to come back to me. It always works that way. John 13, 34, in your notes, Jesus said to his followers, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And they would not understand in the moment, but they would see it on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, hands outstretched, blood draining from his side, and he goes, this is what love is all about. Love is sacrificing for the needs of others. That is a practice, practice that will renovate your relationships. All right, practice number two, go back into your notes. Let's talk about practice two for renovating your relationships. You need to speak up because communication is essential for every relationship. You know, when you think about our world, technological advancements have so significantly enhanced our ability to connect with others. But here's what I'm discovering. Even though it's enhanced our ability to connect with others, we shouldn't assume that it's increased our capacity to communicate effectively. In fact, many experts are arguing right now that our relational communication skills are really effectively being diminished by our overconnectedness in all our technology. Well, what does that reflect on in our relationships? It means that our relationships are perhaps more challenged now than they've ever been in the past because we're losing our ability to actually effectively communicate, actively listen and interact with each other because we rely on our technology. Let me ex- explain. Let me illustrate. Here's what I discover. That texting has replaced talking. That exchanging emoticons has replaced speak, uh, has exchanged sharing emotions. That sharing sound bites has replaced speaking sentences. That we have a relationship with Siri, not our spouse. And if you don't know who Siri is, ask your spouse. 
So it's little wonder that we face these relational challenges, and when we face relational challenge, what do we do? Look at the screen. We drift away. We don't know how to speak to one another. Unless we have a cell phone, an iPad, or some kind of electronic device, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to bridge the gap. We don't know how to use our verbal skills anymore and interact appropriately. If you want to renovate your relationships, one of the things we have to do is move away from avoidance and re-engage by speaking up and effectively communicating. Back in your notes, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says that everything that you say, everything you say, should be kind and well thought out so that you will know how to answer everyone. Now notice carefully what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say that you should say everything that you are thinking. How many of you know your mind is a scary place to live? Yeah, we do know that, right? Some of you, your verbal processors, your extroverts, we don't want to hear everything that's in your head. So the Bible's very clear about this. Don't say everything you're thinking because that's going to get you in more hot water. And let's go to the other side. Notice what the Bible does not say as well. It does not say, do not say anything. And for those of you that are introverts, you can mistakenly assume that it's better to say nothing if you have nothing nice to say. That's not the truth. It says, according to the Scripture, everything you say should be kind and well thought out. Wow. Proverbs 16.24, in your notes, it said, kind words are like honey. They are sweet to the soul and they are healthy to the body. Words that refuse to blame, but they choose to build. Words that shower with kindness rather than shatter with anger and disapproval. Speaking up with words that learns how to lift a heart, a soul, a spirit up to the place where we renovate relationships because we re-engage and we use verbal communication, emotional communication, relational communication to enhance Every one of our relationships. It's a practice that will absolutely transform your relationships. Back into your notes. Practice number three. Let's keep going. How do you renovate them? Practice number three. Here's a a thought. Hold up. Because patience is your hidden strength. Patience is your hidden strength. Now, we're honest in the room, aren't we? I love how it goes silent. Every campus, every venue goes silent. I think for the most part, we're honest people. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, but would you say that you're a patient person? See, the reason I don't want you to raise your hand is I don't want your family to call you out in the middle of the service today. All of us would probably say, well, of course I'm a patient person. Absolutely, I'm a patient person. Then look at the image on the screen. Ask me now, if you're in this lineup, are you still a patient person? See, our culture is diminishing and destroying our ability to develop patience. And patience is vital to renovating our relationship. And yet patience is one of the most difficult relational assets to develop in our lives. And let's face it, when you think about our culture, it continually pushes us past this ability to build patience into our world. Amazon Prime, what do they promise? Delivery in two days. Pizza, 30 minutes or less, or it's free. Then we feign disappointment if it comes in 32 minutes, but inside we're happy because we don't have to pay for it. But we want it in 30, so we complain, but we're cheap enough to go, I'll take the pizza and thank you for the 32-minute delivery. Sunday sermons delivered in 30 minutes or less, or you get your tithes and offerings back again. That ain't going to happen here, just to be clear. We're conditioned by the impatience of our culture. In fact, watch the screen. I think you can relate. This is what people are like now. They got their phone, and they're like, ugh. It won't, 
Give it a second. Give it, it's going to space. Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light too slow for you? Yeah. Yeah. I was on a, I was on an airplane and there was internet, high speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane and they go, open up your laptop, you can go on the internet. And it's fast and I'm watching YouTube clips. It's, I'm in an airplane. And then it breaks down. And they apologize, the internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, Poof. <laughs> Like, how quickly the world owes him something yes. he knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right. That's true, isn't it? Come on, we got to own this stuff. I know it's true because you're in the, in the room this morning. You're out on our campuses and our venues. Our wi- What's with the church Wi-Fi? Why can't they get that fixed? It's taken me 10 seconds to get the app loaded on my tablet this morning. And so we have this. What's with my seat heaters in my car? Why are we using them in, in the, um, April? I don't know. But why won't they heat up quick enough? Some of you, you got seat heaters, Doug? Yeah, you should get a new car. But that's another message a whole other time. Everything about our world has driven us towards speed and instant access. And what does it do? It erodes our patience. And friends, when you take patience out of the equation, the volcanic eruptions of our impatience affects our relationships. We come home from work, bad day. Everything at work was stress, pressure, high activity, low output. We walk in the door of our home, our apartment. We walk into our small group, and who takes the hit? Our friends, our family, because our mood has shifted, because of the impatience of a culture, and we don't have the ability to monitor and manage that. Impatience undermines and sabotages our relationships. When we experience hurt, we want instant healing without exploring and discovering what caused the hurt. When we experience anger, we want instant apology without actually going back to find out what was the source of the anger and did I do something that prompted that kind of emotional outburst. When we go through a fight in a relationship, we want instant forgiveness without actually discovering, do I owe something in this? Did I actually generate this response? Patience is vital. It is one of the greatest gifts that we have in relationships. It is an essential practice for building healthy relationships, and it is critical when you're renovating relationships to develop your capacity for patience. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Developing patience is what God expects me to do. Just put that in your notes. Developing patience is what God expects me to do. Ephesians 4.2. Paul writes this. He said, I want you to be completely humble and gentle, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That patience isn't an option, that it's an asset, and it has to be developed and built into my life. And God expects me to develop this. But there's a beautiful partnership. And if you follow this even further, write this in your notes. Producing patience is what we can expect God to do in us. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22... Paul writes, he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. That's a word for patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. That God says, if you will clothe yourself, Colossians 3.12, clothe yourself with the character of Christ, and you're walking in the character of Christ, then I will allow the Spirit to produce in you fruit. And those two things together are powerful. Because your perspiration 
along with this passion of the Spirit, will produce a powerful, powerful relational asset for you. So patience is something we can never get away from. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul writing says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with... What does the word say? Oh, I hate that word, don't you? Everyone? Really? Think about that right now. we got pictures in our mind, don't we? Don't you have a picture of somebody? You go, not that person. We all have them. But the Bible doesn't give a selective choice here. The Bible doesn't say, hey, you can love those five members of your family, but those three in-laws and that child, well, that child was a problem anyhow. But he doesn't allow us to do that. The Bible says that we are to be patient with everyone. When I'm your pastor, I can't look over at this side of the church or look at the campus or look at a venue and go, I love those people. I'll be patient. But you guys, man, you came late again today. Like, what? What? No, I'm just kidding. You didn't come late. We don't get to choose where we demonstrate patience. To renovate relationships, the practice that we have is that we learn to hold up. We use patience with everyone. And Paul writes, it will transform you. All right, practice number four. Let's wrap all of this up together. Practice number four is a very simple one. It's called open up. Live authentically. When the potential for meaningful exchange is in place... Often you can witness people who will begin to steer the conversation in another direction because they will do anything in their power to avoid risking vulnerability. You see it all the time. You see it in two guys who are having a conversation, talking about their life and talking about their relationships and talking about their work, and all of a sudden they get into a discussion about their spiritual development. And you can see when it starts to move towards some honest accountability and transparency and riskiness, and one will begin to share a little bit from their world, and they go, well, what about you? And one of them that's not willing to risk, go, hey, how about those Blue Jays? Man, they're on a streak, aren't they? And they'll just like, poof, throw that off the other way. What do we do? We deflect. And it happens all the time. In fact, I would imagine right now, and I'm probably convinced of this, all of us could think of a conversation we've had where somebody just completely deflected to avoid the transparency that was required. Happens in our marriages. When one of us wants to step up and have an honest conversation because we're having a difficult time in our relationship, when we go, can we just talk about this? We always seem to be having an issue right here. One will always try to deflect and move it away. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 in your notes, Paul speaking to the Corinthian believers. I love what he said to them. He said, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Paul comes and candidly admits. He says, I, I'm going to risk vulnerability here. I want to be just forthright and let you know how I feel. And you go, really, Paul? The powerful preacher? The great persuader? The great writer of the epistles in the New Testament? Paul says this to these believers? Yeah. Because when he stepped into the context, he wasn't getting up to exhort them. He said, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. And I came, and there was a lot of risk here. And there was weakness and trembling in my world because I didn't know how you were going to receive me. And that's what happens in relationships. There's always that question, how are they going to respond? Will I feel rejected? Will I feel accepted? Can I risk being honest in this relationship? Go to a graphic on the screen real quickly for a moment. Many of us can relate to this right away. It's the masks that we choose to wear given the situation we're about to enter or we're in the middle of rather than the honest feeling, the honest life that reflects our heart. It's in the moment when we choose to pick up a mask that says I'm going to smile with approval when my heart is really being crushed by disapproval. Or the mask that I pick up that says, well, I'm going to agree with you when really behind that mask we know that we can't agree and we just don't know how to show 
that we're going to be indecisive and push back against a decision. Or the mask that we place on that says, I am invincible in this situation and I can do all things. But behind there is this frightened, weakened, trembling individual that says, I just don't know. I don't know how you're going to treat me. I don't know if you're going to accept me. And if I tell you the truth about what's going on in my world, are you going to walk out of this relationship on me? So rather than open up, we opt out and we pick up a mask. We close our hearts, we close our spirits, we, close out, we shut down our feelings and our emotions. We manage our relationships with a series of masks, and we know whether to put them on on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. We know whether to put them on in our small group, our marriages, our friendships, and at our work. And Ephesians 4.15 says there's a better way to live. Better way to live. Paul says, instead, why don't we speak the truth in love? And we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Take that verse just for a moment. Let's unpack that. Paul is saying if we would be honest about our relationships and we would be vulnerable, we would open up and live authentically, that we would speak the truth in love. Now, listen carefully. Many of us speak and we use love, but we don't infuse the truth because we want to avoid hard feelings or misunderstanding. So we're agreeable and we tend to acquiesce and we're always accepting. Then there are others who will speak the truth, but they don't have love. And they often come across as people who are sarcastic or critical because they've emptied the love from the very conversation that needs to be there. And so we look at them and we push back because we don't want to be around people like that. But then there are those that Paul says who speak the truth with love. They're authentic. And he goes, that's maturity. That's the maturity that goes, I care more about you, not hurting you, more about you, and I will speak truth in love so that together we will develop this relationship to its full capacity. And that's how you renovate relationships. It's cultivating this critical, essential practice of learning how to treat one another with the respect and the understanding and the openness that we need to have. So when you bring it all back together, this renovating of our relationships is possible. Now, I asked you a question right at the beginning. I asked you, who is the person in your life? That image, that face that comes to mind when I said, who's the one relationship? Which relationship needs renovation? Is it your spouse? Is it your child? Is it your neighbor across the street? Is it a coworker? Who is that relationship? Because we all have them, don't we? And that relationship needs to be renovated. So what are you going to do today? Because everything I've shared with you, this is great. But if we leave it in the room, it won't change a thing. But if we take it with us and we clothe ourselves, so not only live in our calling, we put on the character, we clothe ourselves. what are you going to do? Maybe you need to step up. Maybe you need to speak up. Maybe you need to just hold up, use a little bit of patience. Or maybe you have to open up and use some vulnerability. But I ask you to do this. As the Spirit of God gives you that picture in your mind of the person or persons that you need to speak to, don't leave today until you've committed in your heart. Either send an email, make a phone call, arrange for a coffee appointment, drive over to a family member or to a friend's house, Begin the journey of restoration. Friends, life is too short to squander the best thing God has ever given us. 
and that's relationship with each other. Amen? So when you look at the Bible, Eugene Peterson paraphrases out one of the most wonderful passages. I love the text. So he paraphrases it for us in a way that we would understand. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now we hear it at weddings. It's a beautiful piece. But it wasn't written for a wedding. It was written for the ordinary, drudgery, challenging, overtaxed relationships that we'll face. It's written for the disappointment, the heartache, the breakup, the misspoken word. And he writes this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. That kind of love renovates every relationship. Pray with me. So Father, this morning, there is not a person listening to my voice, regardless of the campus, the venue, location, online. Every one of us, every one of us is immersed in relationships. And around the peripheral of our relationships, there's always those that need to be renovated. And I pray that today that we would take the truth of your word, knowing who we are in Christ, we would clothe ourselves with the very character of Christ and live to the standard that you have called us. Thank you for the gift of relationship. Help us to live them out to the best of our capacity every day. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.